art, literature, music, rights. Culture can be much more than this. Every Friday from 10 to 12 on Mushtar FM. Siesto Cultural People, today is Friday and uh, like you know there is uh, the appointment with Cultural Program. I'm Dado now leading with Nelia. Hello. Angel on my right side. <laughs> Hello guys. And Margarita on my left side. Hello everybody. And now we have a lot of topics about music, about animation, of course, uh, and about dadology, like every yes, week. Yes, yes, w- I was waiting for this uh, full week, eh? I'm uh, anxious. Yes, but uh, you have to wait because now we are very interested uh, in uh, what Angel would say about uh, festivals. Yeah, because today I'm going to talk about Glastonbury Festival. I don't know if some of you knows this festival. Yes, I just heard about it. Uh, I'm not really know what uh, is it. What oh. is the name again? Glastonbury Festival with my UK accent is not the best. No, I. <laughs> yes, your UK accent is very <laughs> British. Yeah, I know, I know for sure. Okay, in this case, um, I'm going to give you some context because I want to talk about Glastonbury Festival because Jeremy Corbyn participated in the last edition and was quite interesting. But first of all, uh, the context. Glastonbury Festival is a five-day festival of contemporary performing arts and takes place in near to Pilton, Somerset, in England. In addition to contemporary music, the festival hosts dance, comedy, theater, circus, cabaret, and another arts. It's like a huge place for other kinds ah, of... Yes, it's not culture. like the usual mm. festival of music that there are a lot of bands playing, like yeah. five bands, six bands a day. Yes, more I think everybody can find the thing they're interested in, actually. Yeah, I like this kind of festival for this reason. It's like, for example, one of my dreams, the Rhododome, it's about reggae music, but you only you don't have only the the music. You have like conferences, theater, and other activities. It's perfect. Yes, it's a, a cultural festival. Yeah. Uh, all uh, all the things. They are going also families. It's crazy for a festival. For the idea of festival, yes. they are <laughs> going families. Families, uh, <laughs> the last <laughs> thing you can expect in a festival, actually. Yeah. And the leading pop and rock artists have headlined alongside thousands of others appearing on smaller stages and performance areas. Also, of course, music. Films and albums recorded on Glastonbury have been realized and the festival receives extensive television and newspaper coverage. It's like a huge event in all the world. Yes. I have one friend that he watched all the festival by television. It's, it's, it's a little strange for me, a little bit ah, strange. Yeah, yes, <laughs> because the festival usually you need yeah, to leave. Yeah. Uh, Following the TV. And Glastonbury is the largest greenfield festival in the world and is now attended by around 175,000 people requiring extensive infrastructure in terms of security, transport, water, and this kind of stuff. Of course, if you are hosting 175,000, people, you need a lot of staff, volunteers, yes. and. But I was thinking also things. now that after Brexit and the, these things uh, would be really a mess of the people. Also, people from the European Union that maybe in the last uh, years I used to go to these festivals. Uh, Normally, we can stay because it was not mm. a problem. Now, we'll be let's more see, difficult. let's see, because, and it's also related with the topic because it's Jeremy Corbyn with, who was in this festival, and this is the reason why I'm talking about, about this. Maybe he is still growing up in the in boats. Hmm, who knows? Maybe yeah. it's not definitive, the decision. And this huge event of the British culture is inspired in ethos of the hippie contracultural and free festival movements. It's like a festival and you know what kind of people is going. If Jeremy Corbyn is receiving like a huge star, it's for this kind yes. of, uh, of movements. And they retain extents of these traditions, such as the Green Fields area, which includes sections known as the Green Futurus and the Highland Fields. After the 1970s, the festival took place almost every year and grew in a size, with the number of attenders something being swallowing with great chances. Michael Evans hosted the first festival, then called Pilton Festival, after singing an opera Led Zeppelin concert in the 1970 Bats Festival of Blues and Progressive Music. I mean, Led Zeppelin is yes. a good, a perfect beginning. For yes, for, for a festival, of course, come on. Yeah. In that uh, period, uh, Zeppelin were the guest star of every <laughs> festival if they went, come on. And now Glastonbury Festival was held immediately from 1970 until 1981. Since then, it was been 
held every year except for the fallow years taking mostly in a five years intervals intending to give the land local population and the organizer a break. I mean, you need to give a break to the local population because if you are hosting almost 200,000 people each year, it's quite crazy. Yes, um, for the people you mean that because uh, can be interesting in the festival, but uh, also there are a lot of people that... Yeah, now for, say, some groups they are going who were this year in the festival, for example, Radiohead, Foo Fighters... Ed Sheridan, Katy Perry, I mean, huge name. Randy Jewels. Yes, and a huge names, but also there are a lot of uh, different because yeah. between uh, <laughs> Katy Perry and... Yeah, yeah. and, and uh, but the, the number of the groups and the musicians are huge. I'm checking now, I have in front of me the timetable and the list of names is huge. Yeah, you come on, it's a festival. It's, uh, huge. it's a understand. big festival there, it should yeah. be so. <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course. But now we will have a break with music, of course, and we will continue talking about this festival. Art. Literature. Music. Rights. Culture can be much more than this. Every Friday from 10 to 12 on Mushtar FM. Welcome back on Mustafa FM 89.6. Today is Friday, it's cultural program, and we were talking about uh, the festival with Angle before the little break with music. Yeah, and we were talking about this festival, and why I'm talking about this festival, because something unusual happens, at least to me, because in this last, suddenly, a big politician appeared in the States. Wow. Like a big musician, and... It's uh, quite strange for me because I cannot imagine this in Spain. I don't know, guys, if you can imagine this situation in your countries, in a festival in your countries, but Certainly for me, not. I think it's Russian, quite strange. Someone like Putin playing on a stage, uh, <laughs> it would be funny, yeah. With the guitar, I can imagine. But this happened in UK and with Jeremy Corbyn. Because if we think in the last year, what a difference a year makes. Because the atmosphere in Glanzburg 2016 was filled with anger and disappointment for Labour supporters. But if anything illustrates the Labour Party's comeback since the election, it's the scene in the festival this summer. On Saturday, rebels turned out in the thousand to hear the Labour leader, fresh from his surprise election success, speak on a stage in a festival. But while the young festival goers may still be dreaming of cancelling Brexit, Mr. Coven and the new opinions and his party's resolve to deliver the referendum decision to leave Sin to have done little demise his supporting among the young generation. And we were talking about this before. And the festival is a good example. It's a good place for talk about this. Because you have in front of you a lot, a lot of young people. If we remember the... Um, when the referendum, the most of the youngsters vote for yes, so keep. To remain in Europe, the, mm-hmm. the most part was uh, all the people that wanted to go away from Europe, maybe remembering the old times uh, of UK, but yes, are the youngsters that wanted to remain in Europe, mostly. Mm-hmm. And chance of Corbyn, Corbyn, Veganas, the festival gates opening and World Farm 7 a.m. on Wednesday. I cannot imagine seriously in Spain in a huge festival the people screaming <laughs> Rajoy, Rajoy. Seriously, I cannot imagine. It's crazy for yes, me. Yes, but the uh, UK is uh, <laughs> an island. It's, uh, it's a world uh, on, uh, inside. Uh. And there were flags also bearing Mr. Corbyn's name, like uh, another musician. T-shirts featuring his face and even a sand sculpture depicting him dressed in a fox hunting garb, reading a fox thorn fields or wet flowers, Prime Minister Theresa May. Yeah, it's a festival, it's the place for this yeah, kind of this things. Kind of <laughs> this is more normal for me. <laughs> and a volunteer was who served a beer by Mr. Corbyn and Glansbury said it was the best pint she's ever had because he was also in the bar serving drinks and uh, these kind of things. You know, like, uh, I'm one more here, guys. <laughs> yes, amazing. And labor leader Jeremy Corbyn was strongly criticized for not doing enough by remain supporters in his party to combine voters to extend European Union. And angry labor MVPs were busy pointing a cup of odds him. Now the things are changing, of course. And the other day, Mr. Corbyn was greeted by crowds of revelers chatting his name as they arrived at the 
900 Agrid Musical Stavaganza in Pilton, sponsored and the festival staff as well organizer Michael Evis 81. He told the audience, The commentariat got it wrong. The elites got it wrong. Politics is about his life and all of you's. And the wonderful campaign that he was involved with, that he was proud to lead, brought people back into politics because they believed there was something to offer for them. It's interesting this also because we think in the last year on the youngster was like uh, disappointed with the politicians. Yes, so without no beliefs in politics and mm -hmm. so on. And it's um, a situation that we have also in Italy, in Spain, in, yes, in the course. rest of Europe. And like the youngsters in general, they are not very interested in politics. And now in UK, we have like uh, 2,100 people screaming the name of a politician. It's a, yes, it's, a very a really, thing. it's a really big uh, They scream change. in a good way, not uh, to mm -hmm. scream against him. That's <laughs> yeah, the point. Yeah, yeah. And in a separate speech, Mr. Corbyn called for another election to happen very, very, very soon. Who knows? On Saturday afternoon. The Labour leader, who helped to inspire the surprising grains in sets following the shock election in May, urged attempts at politician states left field to think through the politicians of London in the Labour Party manifesto to help prepare for the next election. Now, of course, after this, he is thinking in the next elections for try to change the situation if maybe UK is going out or not, who knows. Yes. A general election will come, I hope very soon, he said, and we are going to be ready for it. So we are now in this situation. We don't know because maybe Theresa May remains in the position, maybe not. Yes, because uh, nowadays he's facing the reality of uh, the decision and it's mm -hmm. not so easy, the, the Brexit, the consequences of Brexit. Yeah, it uh, also, it's a huge shock, not only for the parties, for the people in general. Uh, we want this, but now maybe it's not the best option. So Yes, that's the point. These uh, decisions are made uh, not so quick, but I think that are uh, decisions that are really to be considered in a long time and not mm -hmm. just to say we want to go away from Europe because Europe uh, makes us poor and so on. It's not at the point, I think, of European Union. But uh, thanks, Angel, for uh, this uh, taste, uh, we can say, about uh, the festival and politicians that uh, want uh, to share their ideas uh, <laughs> among youngsters. <laughs> want to play the guitar in a huge stage. <laughs> yes, can be a good, uh, good idea for other politicians that maybe are listening to us. But now, a little break with music. Art, literature, music, rights, culture can be much more than this. Every Friday from 10 to 12 on Mustar FM. Just to remind you, we are in Mustar FM during the cultural program, and now after music, we have our usual appointment with animation. There is not Avi with us today, but Nelia wanted to talk about animation in her country. Yes, today I will speak about animation, not about movie, um, because last time Harry taught us about Soviet cartoons. So I feel that I have to tell you guys about modern Russian animation. And it's uh, the three bogaters, for example, or in Russian it's three bogatera. And I need to explain to you that bogaters is a Russian epic heroes. And The Free Bogaters is an animated franchise produced by Mianitsa Animation Studio. Uh, the oral plot through the series follows the adventures of the three most famous Bogaters, Alyosha Popovich, Dabry Nikitich, and Ilya Muromets. And you also can uh, see them on the picture of uh, artist Viktor Vosnitsov. So if you will be in Moscow and uh, visit the Tretikov Gallery, don't forget to find this picture and look at this because it's very amazing. I can prove it, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it's really amazing. And the series of The Free Bogaters has now grossed over $135 million, making it the most high-grossing Russian animated films and earning a spot as one of the most profitable Russian films in the last 10 years. And this franchise combines history of early Russia and Slavic and Russian folklore with more modern elements including Alexander Pushkin's creativity and video games. Each of the first three films shows one of the bogaters, 
Russian epic heroes, based very loosely on the heroes and the legends about Tsar Vladimir in the Kievan Rus legend circle, a collection of traditional Russian oral epic narrative poems, Belini. And the first animation was released in 2004. It's Alyosha Popovich and Tugarian the Serpent. The screen version of the Russian legend about the Bogotar and his enemy. And the story tells us how nomad warriors, hidden to guardian the serpent, came to Kiev, Rusi, and asked fee. And they went away with gold in result. But Alyosha Popovich, Bogotar, decides to change the situation and return the gold. So then we see a lot of his adventures. A lot of funny adventures. <laughs> yep. And in 2006, another animation was re- released. It's Dobry Nikitich and the Serpent Garinich. In this story of the Tsar of Kiev, suddenly discovers that his niece, Zabava, is fell in love with simple guy, Yelisei. And his niece wants to run away with him, with Yelisei. And the Tsar decides to send Yelisei on the job and to marry Zabava to another rich man. And the Tsar tells the Bogotir Dobrynya Nikitich, must to collect a fee from the Crimean Han Beket and to take the essay with him. Actually, I didn't know that these cartoons are so old. 2004-2006, it is the time I finished school, actually. Yes, but yeah. for us, 2004 seems just uh, like <laughs> two years ago. <laughs> but actually, it's uh, more than uh, 10 years ago. It's uh, amazing, it's yes, strange. Yeah. Yes, and 10 years ago, in 2007, there were animation Lia Muromets and the Nightingale Robber. Lia Muromets uh, coached new bad guy, Nightingale, and put him in prison. But the Tsar of Kiev releases a prisoner for 100 coins. And of course, Lia Muromets very angry because of this, and he retired. But the Tsar demands that Lia left his horse, Burushka. And soon, however, Nightingale, the robber, comes back and steals the Tsar's treasury, so the Tsar's money, and the horse of Bogatyr, Burushko. And Tsar wants to send Ilya to the search, and he decided to tell Ilya only about the loss of the horse, hoping that saving the horse, Ilya at the same time will return the money of the Tsar. And Ilya decides immediately to go in search of the Nightingale, Yes, and uh, it's very interesting uh, hearing about uh, these uh, cartoons because uh, I think me in Italy and also Angle in Spain, we are used to other kind of cartoons, maybe the cartoons of uh, America, for example. Yeah, I was thinking the same when I was talking about the mix between the folklore, the, the this kind of properly Russian culture and the new way for doing the things is it's very interesting because usually we are used to it, receive only the American stuff and it's always the same stuff. Yes, there is something maybe related to history, but um, just not in this way, just uh, in a background, just to put uh, a background to the usual story. Yeah, and also it's always when, also with the Americans talk about, for example, Russia or Europe, is always with the point of view of America and sounds always ridiculous. Yes, exactly. I can feel uh, the same. But now we will uh, continue talking about uh, Russian modern animation after this break with music. Art, literature, music, rights, culture can be much more than this. Every Friday from 10 to 12 on Mushtar FM. Welcome back again on cultural program on Mushtar FM 89.6. We were talking about Russian animation and Nelia will continue with her topic, I think. Yes, I want to tell you about the fourth film of the franchise. It's The Three Bogaters and the Shamahan Queen or how not to rescue a princess. So, yeah, around the world, the people make uh, films about how to rescue a princess, but in Russia, you can find uh, animation about how not to rescue a princess. <laughs> That's why Russia is the most <laughs> big, biggest Finally. country in the world. <laughs> how to save actually Russia from this princess. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's the point, I think. <laughs> and uh, this animation unites all three of the bagaters, Adosha Popovich, Ilya Muromets, and Dobrynya Kitich, in one film and includes uh, unforgettable partners such as as Julius, as the token horse introduced in the previous films. 
come on, a Tolkien horse. <laughs> I have to see this movie just for a Tolkien horse that is made uh, Julius Caesar. <laughs> yes, Julius Caesar is the horse of Alyosha Popovich, born in Novgorod, where he read a lot of books because he lived in the church library. And he named himself in honor of the Roman commander. Nice. The only problem for what's all of these movies is remember the names in Russian because it's not possible for me. I need to <laughs> write it now. Also, yes, because of it, uh, these Russian names and surnames, yes, it's really difficult. And this film also makes reference to the Russian literature from 19th century and the famous narrative epic of Alexander Pushkin, to tell of the golden cockerel. This is nice because in Russia, in the literature, they have a huge heritage, like uh, they have a really, really nice history in the literature, so... Is perfect. And the next animation, The Three Bogaters on Distant Shores, was released in 2012. In English-speaking countries, it was distributed as The Three Bogaters Far, Far Away. New bad guy, Colivan, a third merchant who had the magical power to win in the lottery, and Baba Yaga, it's a very famous uh, Russian character. Yeah. character from the fairy tales and also okay. the games. Uh, he or she is a happy old woman who doesn't eat anyone, just breathes potions. But in uh, Fertus, for example, it's a character who eats uh, children. Good <laughs> <laughs> okay. combination. <laughs> but he is uh, a negative hero just because she wants to have uh, a house near Kiev. And she uh, drew that, ba that bad uh, deals because of it. <laughs> <laughs> I think that uh, the price of houses uh, near Kiev in that period were very high. <laughs> Yes, and these uh, two bad guys uh, plan to take over the palace of the Tsar of Kiev. And they succeed in their attempt uh, with the help of a singular army, two enormous bunnies. And they also create a fake source of legitimation, the doubles of the three bogaters, who affirm that the charlatans are the legitimate successors of the Tsar. And the plot develops through various episodes involving the impostors with their bunnies, uh, the Tsar of Kiev with the horse Julius, uh, the Bogatir's wives with the doubles, and the real Bogatir's with the indigenous people and a giant gorilla, and the appearance of some characters from the previous series. Why this film is important? Uh, the film is perhaps most successful in presenting a stride criticism on Russian society and rules. A satire that is addressed at contemporary Russia, but that has in itself repeated traits of satirical works appearing at different times during the Russian and Soviet area, like uh, infatuation with foreign products, blind aid towards foreigners, incompetence of the rules to govern, corruption, unfair tax collection, high prices on products, and fast acceptance of new imposters without any opposition. This is nice because when the animation is not only for child, it's also for adult yes, audience, it's the best. That's the point, because it's a product mm. that's not only for a child that to just make entertainment and so on, but also for more adult people. Yes, you very like this animation. But I have a and question about the, the animation in Russia. You have also, we can say, the American animation, the commercial animation, or the yes, most of, of the animation is from Russia? No, we have uh, a lot of American animation, yeah, like, uh, the uh, same like you have mm -hmm. in your countries. Yes, but I think that uh, the animation in Russia is more big than, that, for example, the animation in uh, Spain. Yeah, I was thinking in this, like, maybe the balance is more like 50%, 50%. To the contrast of many contemporary foreign animated films, Free Bogaters is more traditional drone animation than computer graphics. As in many animation movies made in Russia, characters and scenes are first drawn, scanned, and only then do computer animators feel in the task of coloring, adding backgrounds and special effects. So computers have the construction of the film and offer some special features, but the process of drawing successfully preserves the film from the code and artificial effects that is common to pure computer animation. So this uh, animation also has a special process of creating this uh, franchise. Yes, I think it was very good to know this uh, kind of animation um, 
from the other side of the world, we can say. <laughs> of the and wall uh, in our style. <laughs> and then we had another two parts of animation, and the Three Bogaters and Julius Caesar in 2015, and the Three Bogaters and the King of the Sea in 2017. And in the end of this uh, year, uh, we are waiting the Three Bogaters and the Princess of Egypt. So, guys, uh, go to have news about uh, these uh, animation movies. Uh, now, in the meantime, we will have a little break with music. Art. Literature. Music. Rights. Culture can be much more than this. Every Friday from 10 to 12 on Mushtar FM. Welcome back, cultural people, to cultural program on Mustafa FM 89.6. And now, after animation in Russia, we can move to our weekly appointment with Dadology. Finally. When every Friday you discover something interesting about the anthems and the flag of the nations of the world. And uh, the last week we talked about the big Russia, but uh, today we will move to Central America, presently to Mexico, for the joy of Angel. Yeah, my, my real country, I have to say. Yes. All uh, have to know that it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's a real country. And uh, as usual, we can start talking about the anthem and uh, its uh, origins. After independence for Spain in the early 19th century, there were many songs popular with the public that were an attempt to be a national anthem, but none succeeded. Finally, in 1853, the president Santa Ana announced a nationwide contest for the lyrics for a new national anthem. One of the anthems, an accomplished poet named Francisco González Bocanega, was originally not interested in entering this competition. But, however, his fiancé was confident in his skills and, under false pretenses, lured him into a room of her parents' house and locked him inside, <laughs> refusing to let him out until he wrote an entry from the contest. <laughs> yeah, it's a good motivational uh, yeah, it's a good motivation. For prepare the programs, we have to do the same. <laughs> yes, close uh, the guys in a room without, uh, yeah. with no water, with uh, no pressure. <laughs> Just write the program. <laughs> yes, it can be good. But uh, actually it worked because after four hours uh, using the pictures in the room uh, of the epics of uh, Mexican history as an inspiration, Bocanegra finally won his freedom by slipping a ten-verse poem under the door. His fiancé and their father approved of the submission <laughs> and so did the judging committee. His entry won unanimously. No. He had no choice. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes, that's the point. And uh, after the contest for the lyrics, uh, of course, came the contest for the melody. And this contest was won by the Jaime Nuno Rocha, if I pronounce it correctly. Rocha. Rocha. He titled his entries, Dios y Libertad, God and Freedom. The combination of uh, Nuno's music with Gonzalez's lyrics was the first presented to the nation at the Independence Day celebration on the 16th of September in 1854. And now I think we can listen to the anthem. El himno nacional mexicano. Mexicanos al grito de guerra, el acero aprestado y el bridón, y retiembla en sus centros la tierra al sonoro rugir del cañón. Y retiembla en sus centros la tierra al sonoro rugir del cañón. Yes, I think uh, it's a very good hymn. And shortly after his work uh, was uh, adopted as the national anthem, Nuno Roca left uh, Mexico to spend the rest of his life in Buffalo, New York, United States, and sold the anthem to a music house in that country. <laughs> Seriously? You can yes. sell the anthem of a country in a... Actually, yes. Uh, level? In, uh, in America, probably you can do it. But uh, actually... For Mexican people, it was not uh, a big deal because when uh, he visited Mexico in uh, 1901, he was given uh, a state reception, a medal, and money. But uh, he passed away in uh, 1908. But in 1942, shortly before the national anthem was officially adopted, his remains were flown to Mexico and given a state funeral in the Hall of Heroes, where also Francisco González Bocanega was also buried. So the two creators of the anthem was uh, buried uh, together. We can see. Nice. But I cannot understand why someone in United States is interested in buy uh, th this kind of thing. It's like 
for what? I don't know because I can uh, imagine that he sold it uh, for money and so on. But just yeah, uh, like who can accept the <laughs> <laughs> national anthem? Yeah. What's just uh, the music? Okay. Oh, just the music. Because it was the composer of the music. But uh, like I said, in 1943, the anthem was uh, officially adopted, and uh, at the time uh, it was decreed that uh, the first, uh, the fifth, and the sixth and the tenth verses uh, would uh, comprise the anthem. When a shorter version of the anthem is required, it's sometimes performed with uh, the chorus. Then the first verse, followed by the chorus, followed by the tenth verse, followed by the chorus, and uh, a shorter version uh, of the anthem as only the chorus, the first verse, and then uh, the chorus again. So it depends on the occasion. Some occasion, like football matches, I can uh, imagine, have just the short version, and uh, more uh, national occasions. But the long version is how long is? It's just um, more longer, really, because I think it's like the double, because uh, the chorus is repeated another time, there is also another verse, uh, so I think uh, it was used uh, maybe during the flag day, this kind of holidays. Uh. But now, before talking uh, about the flag of Mexico, we can have a little break with the music. Art, literature, music, rights, culture can be much more than this. Every Friday from 10 to 12 on Mushtar FM. Welcome back on Mushtar FM uh, today, Friday and today cultural program. After the anthem of Mexico, I wanted to talk you something about the Mexican flag, la bandera de Mexico. The flag is a vertical tricolor of green, white, and red with the national coat of arms chairs in the center of the white stripe. While the meaning of the colors had changed over the time, these three colors were adopted by Mexico following independence from Spain during the country's war of independence and the subsequent first Mexican empire. The form of the coat of arms was mostly recently revised in 1968, but the overall design has been used last since 1821, when the first national flag was created. Different sources actually claim a different interpretation for the colors of the flag, but um, I wanted to talk to you about the two of the most popular uh, interpretations. One says that the green is for the hope and the victory, the white for the purity of ideas, and the red for the blood shed by the national heroes. The last one is a little bit creepy, but it's okay. <laughs> but in, in a lot of uh, flags, actually, the yes. red uh, is uh, this interpretation. Yes. In Russian, for example. The symbol of blood, yeah. Yes, the red is... Um, in the most of flags. Exactly. In Spain, we have uh, the 66% is red, so maybe we have a lot of blood. To <laughs> yeah, probably. probably. <laughs> yeah. But another interpretation says also that the green can be for independence, the white for the Roman Catholicism, and the red for union. So... I think uh, maybe the first one is uh, the real one, I think, in my opinion, because it can be more related to the revolution, more uh, more related to Mexican. But uh, by the way, red, white and green are the colors of the National Liberation Army in Mexico. The central emblem is the Mexican coat of arms based on the Aztec symbol for Tenochtitlan, that now is Mexico City. The pronunciation for, for sure was bad and was also the center of the Aztec Empire. It recalls the legend of uh, an eagle sitting on a cactus that uh, signaled to the Aztecs where to find uh, their capital city, according to the legend, of course. A ribbon in the national colors is at the bottom of the coat of arms. For history, the flag has changed several times, like I said before, as the design of the coat of arms and the elect white ratios of the flag have been modified. However, the coat of arms has had the same features for an eagle holding a serpent in its talon, is perched on the top of a prickly pear cactus. The cactus is situated on a rock that rises above a lake. The current law of uh, national symbols, law of national arms, flag and anthem, that governs uh, the use of the national flag has been in place since uh, 1984. The current national flag is also used as the Mexican naval ensign by ships registered in Mexico. But now an important topic, at least for me, because of, there are not other Italians in this program, <laughs> about the difference between this flag and another very similar flag, that is the Italian flag, because the Mexican flag and Italian flag at the first sight can be can yeah, look very similar. These colors are very usual. For, for example, the Hungarian is yes, the same just, colors. Yes, the same colors, but the Mexican flag is also vertical. Yeah, vertical, yeah. Like the uh, Italian flag. 
but uh, although the Mexican uh, Fricolo has been continuously used uh, for a longer time than the Italian one, at the time of the Mexican flag adoption, the similar litto and the Italian Fricolos had already been used briefly in Europe, for example by the Cheese Spin Republic. Both flags use the same colors, like I said, but the Mexican flag has darker shades of green and red, particularly the green, that is very dark if you notice. And these flags also present uh, a different uh, aspect ratio. The Italian flag aspect ratio is uh, two three, more squares uh, in shape, while the Mexican flag aspect ratio is uh, four seven, resulting in a longer shape. So they are quite different. And uh, probably you don't know, but there are other two variants of the national flag that are mostly used by the state and federal governments. And the difference between uh, the national flag and these variants uh, are just in the design of the coat of arms. Uh, because uh, in the first variance, uh, which is used by the president of Mexico, the entire coat of arms uh, is colored gold. While uh, in, the other in the second variant, uh, that is used mostly by the state governments uh, and the federal bodies, uh, were not able to use the first variant, uh, just the eagle is in gold and the rest is in white. So if uh, you didn't know about Mexico, now you know about the flag and the anthems. <laughs> And I think that uh, after another little break with music, we can continue talking about this uh, big count in Central America, about maybe curiosities that uh, you don't know. Art. Literature. Music. Rights. Culture can be much more than this. Every Friday from 10 to 12 on Mushtar FM. Welcome back, guys, again uh, in Mustar FM uh, with Cultural Program. Uh, we were talking about uh, Mexico, and uh, now the dology is finished, but we will uh, continue talking about curiosity about uh, this uh, important country. And the official name of Mexico is Estados Unidos Mexicanos, or United Mexican States. <laughs> Angel, tell us the correct pronunciation, no, please. I love your pronunciation. Come on. Okay, maybe it's not the best pronunciation because I don't have Mexican pronunciation, but it's something like Estados Unidos Mexicanos. Yes, uh, thanks, man, for your <laughs> pronunciation. And uh, cultural uh, things important about Mexico, one is that the first printing press in North America was used in Mexico City in 1549. So it's um, really important because uh, we think about uh, America, USA, we think about that everything in America was created first in the USA and so yeah. on. But a lot of things were created in uh, Mexico, for example. Uh, for example, in Russia, the first printing press uh, was appeared just in 1702. Really? Yeah. A lot, a yes. Lot Gutenberg uh, invented uh, Just uh, with <laughs> yeah. uh, Peter the Great. It's really cool, you say. And why? I think because uh, Peter the Great visited Europe and uh, then decided to bring to us a lot of uh, yeah. important things. Uh. Yes, absolutely right. And in uh, this uh, newspaper, you can find the news about Europe also. Mm -hmm. But of course, they were very, very old because <laughs> <laughs> it uh, was very difficult to receive all this news from Europe. And, yeah, you know. they hadn't the uh, internet like uh, <laughs> we had nowadays, <laughs> actually. But another important thing about Mexico is that uh, the National University of Mexico was founded in, in 1551 by Charles uh, V of Spain. <laughs> I love the translation of the name. <laughs> Carlos V. Yeah, Carlos V of Spain. And uh, this university is the oldest university in North America. So also more old than uh, all the university in uh, USA and so on. But I think because the... The conquista from Spain uh, <laughs> started from South America and Mexico, so... Yeah, yeah but could be interesting to tell all this data for some people in the United States didn't say them, yeah, yeah, you know that the first university in America was in Mexico, and so his faces and their faces... Yes, could and so you have to really think funny. more about the Mexicans uh, <laughs> yeah. in your country and so on. But uh, a funny thing about... Uh, Mexico is about uh, one of uh, the famous, uh, most famous uh, animals that are related to Mexico, that is Chihuahua. <laughs> because uh, relative to their bodies, uh, Chihuahuas have the biggest brain in the dog world. Chihuahua. Mm. And it's strange because uh, they are very small, but also their brain uh, compared to their body is big. So <laughs> they're supposed to be smart uh, dogs. <laughs> actually. But they actually aren't. <laughs> yes. In my opinion. <laughs> and also... Chihuahua is uh, the world's smallest dog, uh, and uh, 
the name of Chihuahua is related to a Mexican state mm-hmm. and that is also an island. Yeah, and when you want imitate our Mexican guy, you if you say Chihuahua is 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 done. It's enough. It's enough. <laughs> enough. It's you don't have you to say it. taco yeah, or yeah, this kind of things. So. <laughs> Uh, the border between Mexico and the United States is the second largest border in the world. Only the United States-Canadian border is longer. So, yes, if uh, Trump wants uh, really to make uh, this big wall between uh, Mexico and the United States... Uh, but it's, it's, already, it's already a wall. This is the point. Yes, but if... There's already a wall, so... Yeah, but he has a lot of work to do. So yes, uh, yeah, also so Canada on the other side, <laughs> if you want. Uh, yeah. yeah, United States has a lot of uh, longer border, yeah. so it will be happy, we think. <laughs> and also talking about Mexico, Mexico size is uh, 756,066 square miles, which is almost three times uh, larger than uh, Texas. And uh, Mexico is the 14th largest country in the world by total area. Yeah, it's huge because when we think in, for example, in Europe and we think that our countries are big, if you compare with the rest of the world, it's like uh, we're the smallest one in, in the world. It's, it's, it's big for you, just 14. For <laughs> Russia, <laughs> the first. Okay, okay. Yeah, so for Russia, <laughs> any country is big. Uh, they're just uh, something in the world. Yeah, Spain is a village, no? Like... <laughs> Yes, yes, that's a point. But also if uh, we look at Asia, to Africa, for example, <laughs> yeah, yeah. they are really big. And also talking about Mexico, only 10 countries in the world have a larger population than Mexico. And the population in Mexico is more than uh, 100 million people. Yeah, it's huge numbers and the cities are huge. Really, really huge Yes, cities. and they are really are filled with uh, a lot of uh, ethnies also. There are uh, a lot of uh, Spain's uh, people of, from the origin, uh, a lot of uh, mix uh, from uh, Spain conquistadores and uh, Indians uh, people. Uh, and really, if mm. you look at Mexico, maybe you cannot imagine, because when I look at Mexico in the world, for example, I cannot imagine, but it's really, the shape also is yeah. not uh, so yeah. so little. And uh, now we will continue talking about uh, Mexico after music. Art. Literature. Music. Rights. Culture can be much more than this. Every Friday from 10 to 12 on Mushtar FM. Welcome back, guys, and uh, we were talking about Mexico in a cultural program uh, with a lot of uh, curiosities. And uh, now, talking about uh, religion, what do you want to say, Asnelia? Catholicism is a dominant religion in Mexico. It's painful. <laughs> yeah, and also uh, Italy fault because it's the Vatican, man, so... Yes, yes. We can share the fault. And Mexico is second only to Brazil in the number of Catholic citizens. In the world. Yes, also the Argentina, for example, that uh, has a lot of uh, Catholics, I think, uh, is uh, for, I think it's for, I don't know for sure, but uh, it's uh, after Mexico. Yeah, I, I mean, about it. for the Catholicism, now Latin America is the principal area in the world, because in Europe... Yes, but it was thanks to Spain, thanks to Italy, the biggest uh, Catholic country mm-hmm. Yeah, because history. if you think in Europe now, in Spain, and I don't know in Italy, but maybe it's the same, mm, a lot of people, the youngsters, the new generations are not interested yes. anymore in religion. Totally. And in Latin America, this feeling... It's different. Uh, it's different. For example, I know, uh, I know Honduranian guys that is really interested in religion. Uh, also, when they post, uh, I don't know, post on Instagram, uh, <laughs> their recitation of Bible and so on. It's very <laughs> interested in its origins uh, and these religion things. But uh, talking about uh, religion festivities, uh, we have to say that uh, Mexican children don't uh, receive presents on Christmas Day. Why? But, uh, because they receive gifts uh, on the 6th of January, the day on which uh, Mexicans uh, celebrate the arrival of the three wise men. Yeah, it's mm. the same in Spain. Uh, we have also Los Tres Reyes Magos, the yeah. three magic queens and kings, sorry, and it's the same. And, okay, in Spain, usually you receive the presents in the 6th of January. And but also only in the 6th of not January? Not only, but ah, okay. usually you have a small present or the half or the presents in Christmas. But the big day for this kind of things is the 6th of January. 
for us is the same. So it's almost seventh of January in Russia, <laughs> but unfortunately, I don't know. As for real Christians in Russia, did they do they do they get a present presents? Uh, yes, Orthodox. Oh yeah, um, they receive presents, but uh, on the Christmas, not on the New Happy New Year, for example. Yeah, yeah, Christmas. Yeah. Yes, and talking about uh, again uh, Mexico geography. Mexico is almost to the world's smallest volcano, which stands just uh, 43 feet. That is like uh, f 14 meters uh, <laughs> tall, actually. And Mexico is home to a very rare rabbit called the Volcano Rabbit, which lives near Mexican volcanoes. <laughs> I can imagine the rabbits near this smallest volcano is also really, really small. Yes, no, but I think it uh, <laughs> will be... Eight like the volcano, more or less. <laughs> not like the volcano, but uh, something. Is like this, this volcano actual or it's sleeping? No, I think it's active actually. Active. Yes, I think it will not be so dangerous <laughs> because it's 14 meters. You put a glass of water and this is. Yes, yeah, just, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just in case of emergency. <laughs> and also, Mexico is uh, located in the Ring of Fire, one of the Earth's most violent earthquake and volcano zones. So yes, it's not. Uh, yeah, it's uh, not always funny. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But uh, other curiosities about Mexico is that uh, the descendants of the Aztecs uh, speak a form of the Aztec language called Nahuatl. Many of its words, particularly for types of food, passed into English, such as tomatoes, that was tomatle, chocolate, and avocados. And so all the words that we have now for this kind of food are due to Aztec people. Mm -hmm. And uh, talking about the food, uh, when uh, Spanish conquistador uh, Hernán Cortés arrived in uh, 1519, uh, the Aztecs believed uh, it was uh, their returning uh, god, uh, Cuestacotl, and uh, offered him the drink of the gods, uh, of course, uh, hot chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> and also Mexico introduced chocolate, corn and chilies to the world. I can understand corn and cheese, but chocolate, really? <laughs> yes, yeah. we have to That's say strange. thanks uh, to Mexico for uh, the chocolate we eat. Uh. And also the tobacco, no? Uh, maybe. Yes, yes, I think also, yes, but I think all the South America. But with the less. chocolate is enough, come on. Yeah, the, the chocolate <laughs> is, uh, is a drug enough <laughs> yeah. for everyone. And also talking about the food again, according to the California Avocado Commission, there is a California Avocado Commission actually. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Americans consume up to 81 million pounds of avocados on the Cinco de Mayo every year. Yeah, this is also funny for me because Cinco de Mayo is uh, like a kind of, mm, we can say, confirmation. We have this celebration in Spain, but it's really, really different for them. It's for another thing. So it's really curious, this celebration. Also for the Spanish people, even if we share the idiom of some part of the culture, these kind of things are also really different for us. Yes, and I think mostly also for in the southern state, mm. for example, of USA, like in Texas and New Mexico and these kind of things. And uh, the last thing we want to talk uh, with you is about uh, the Great Pyramid of uh, Cholula, I think of Cholula, probably. <laughs> that is also known as Tlaquilauteti, uh, but uh, I think you have to Google it uh, for yeah, a it's, better it's impossible to pronounce. Yes, which is uh, the name uh, in Nahuatl for artificial mountain. That is also the largest pyramid in the world and the largest uh, monument ever constructed in the world. So, if you yes. think uh, also this, because uh, when I think about uh, Pyramids, I think uh, the pyramids of Giza yeah. in uh, Egypt, uh, and yeah. I think they are the biggest in the world, but uh, in Mexico and I think also in, more in South America, Central America, there are a lot of these uh, pyramids, uh, and uh, it's uh, an amazing thing of uh, ancient people that left us. But uh, now, after this curiosity about Mexico, I think uh, it's good to have uh, a little bit with music. Art, literature, music, rights, culture can be much more than this. Every Friday from 10 to 12 on Mushtar FM. Welcome again everybody on Mushtar FM and now we will uh, enjoy the last section of uh, the cultural program with uh, Margarita and uh, she will talk about the cultural shock. Yes, if you ever guys will go to Mexico for a long time, you should listen to my 
part. <laughs> and also us that we are in Hungary for a long time. I yes, think. <laughs> this is actual thing for us too. Culture shock is an experience a person may have when one moves to a culture environment which is different from one's own. It is also the personal disorientation a person may feel when experiencing an, an unfamiliar way of life due to immigration or a visit to a new country, a more between social environments or simply transition to another type of life. One of the most common causes of culture shock involves individuals in a foreign environment. Culture shock can be described as consisting of at least one or four distinct phases. Honeymoon, negotiation, adjustment, and adaptation. Common problems include information overload, language barrier, generation gap, technology gap, skill interdependence, homesickness, and so on and so forth. There is no true way to entirely prevent culture shock as individuals in any society are personally affected by culture contrasts differently. Now I'm going to tell you a little bit about these stages. And the first is honeymoon. During this period, the differences between the old and new culture are seen in a romantic light, you know. For example, in moving to a new country, an individual might love the new food, the pace of life and locals' habits. During the first few weeks, most people are fascinated by the new culture. They associate with nationals who speak their language and who are polite to the foreigners. Like most honeymoon periods, this stage eventually ends. But yes, because when you move to another country, you're used to other to your country, and you think, oh, a new culture, a new breath. Uh, we can uh, discover a lot of things. Uh. Yeah. yeah, it's like uh, a small vacations at the beginning because all is new, all is interesting. Yes, you live like if uh, it was uh, a thing of a month, uh, for example. You just live, okay, I'm here for uh, some more, some uh, days. Uh, I can enjoy. I can breathe new air. I have yeah. to say, for me. <laughs> In Hungary, was like a really, really cold honeymoon, for saying this way, because the first experience, the first weeks, didn't was like in a perfect way, you know, because we arrived here in February, all the city cold, freezing, nobody in the streets, was like, hmm, maybe we need time for... <laughs> how do you feel now? Because you are here from February quite a long time here. Well, how do you feel yourself now? now I feel better, for okay. sure. I feel really good because these steps, for sure, are the usual ones, but for sure, each person have a different experience. I don't know for Javi because he arrived here at the same time. We had the same sensation because also depends of the of the concrete experience. And for us at the beginning, the problem was if you arrive to another country with a project or with a plan, uh, until the plan starts, you are like in the middle of a limbo, for saying this way. So it can be strange. Uh, have your opinion about your native country, Spain, changed during this time? For sure. I mean, maybe for all of us, no? Because when you have our opinion and you are inside of your country is difficult to have a point of view. I mean, for you, for sure, it's the same. Yeah, actually, we will find it out later when we will be back to our countries because there is a, another term for this uh, state. <laughs> I will talk about it later a little bit. And now the second stage called negotiation. After some time, usually around three months, depending on the individual, differences between the old and new culture become apparent and may create anxiety. Excitement may eventually give way to unpleasant feelings or frustration and anger as one continues to experience unfavorable events that may be perceived as strange and offensive to one's culture attitude. Language barriers, talk differences in public hygiene, traffic safety, food accessibility and quality may heighten the sense of disconnection from the surroundings. Yes, and I think uh, can happen also. But uh, like I just say, that depends also on the experience because, uh, for example, I think Avi is uh, still here from four months uh, almost, uh, but uh, he stayed only <laughs> in one flat. <laughs> You change the flat uh, just one time. <laughs> Me, for example, is the further time that I change the flat. Yeah. So it depends also your adaptation. Because uh, if you adapt it in a very slowly way, maybe these things uh, happen, but not uh, in an improvised way, are just uh, more uh, calm. You discover these things badly, of course, because it's just a matter of time, I think, uh, but with not uh, this. Uh, yeah. yeah, and I think for us it's easier, a little bit easier, because we have our own mates from our countries. I was thinking in this. Yes, uh, this makes adaptation easier I think and we don't feel like really lonely or homesickness yeah. because we have someone we can talk in our native language but it's for sure happens to people that go for 
unfamiliar surroundings alone yeah. and without knowledge of the language of the country they moved to. Yeah. We are in a kind of bubble now in this situation because we are surrendered for people in the same situation than us. So. And I think we will continue talking about this important I think, topic after the last little break with music. Art, literature, music, rights, culture can be much more than this. Every Friday from 10 to 12 on Mushtar FM. Welcome back for the last part of cultural program. And now with Margarita we were talking about the cultural shock. And two stages of culture shock left. It is called adjustment. And again, after some time, usually six or 12 months, one grows accustomed to the new culture and develops routines. One knows what to expect in most situations and host country no longer feels all that new. One becomes concerned with basic living again and things become more normal. One starts to develop problem-solving skills for dealing with the culture and begins to accept the culture's way with a positive attitude. The culture begins to make sense and negative reactions and responses to the culture are reduced. You know... Most of the people go back to the home country after honeymoon ends because they feel really homesickness and uh, yeah. lonely and uh, lots of people just don't overcome this stage. If you spend more than six, seven, eight months in a different country, I think that you start with this step because it's impossible not to do it. Even if you feel lonely or homesickness or these kind of things, you start to adapt yourself to the new situation because it's normal even if without thinking this. Yes, so. it's just a question of patience, I think, because uh, if after three months, okay, you see the negative things, but you think, okay, I need to be patient, uh, better days will come. But it's not every person. Yeah, is yeah, yeah like sure, this. but because it uh, depends yeah. also on the person, the person yeah, that are uh, easily more... Uh, yeah. And also the environment you found when you are in a country. If you are totally alone and you have to live alone with uh, no one that you know and so on, it's a thing. If you are, there are people of uh, your country, people that you can speak also, because, uh, okay, maybe you don't find people, uh, for example, me, I cannot find people Italian in another, another country, but if I found people that speak in English or uh, I can communicate with them, uh, it's a totally different thing. Yeah. And the last stage of culture show called adaptation. In the mastery stage, individuals are able to participate fully and comfortably in the host culture. Mastery doesn't mean total conversion. People often keep many traits from their earlier culture, such as accent and the language. It is often referred to as bicultural stage. When I studied at the university, we had a teacher and she told us that don't laugh at persons who have accents in English, for example, <laughs> because they keep their own culture and their own language. And uh, sometimes it sounds really funny because in our republic, Buryats actually who speak only Buryat language, they speak Russian really bad. And it sounds really funny. And we always, uh huh, this is really funny. And uh, he doesn't uh, speak Russian well and so on and so forth. But our teacher told her that the accent is the sign of that fact that a person keeps their own culture and language. This is actually the great thing. Yes, but yeah. I think that uh, it's a good thing to keep uh, your culture and uh, your language because, uh, come on, it's uh, your origins. If you go abroad, uh, okay, keep uh, the good things of uh, your culture and <laughs> yeah, your yeah. language, not like Italians that go to <laughs> bring mafia and so on, uh, <laughs> like in stereotypes, but uh, to bring uh, good things and uh, to mix uh, the two things, uh, your own culture, what uh, you take from your country and what uh, you will find in uh, the other country you are living. Uh. Yeah, it's the perfect yeah. mix. Because also for the country which is hosting you, it's, it's better because it's more richness for this country. It's, uh, a, a mix of cultures is better. But when you say the, the last step, when you improve your skills, for example, in idioms, for me, it, this is one of the most important points because our experience here in Hungary is the perfect example. When you find people talking in English, it's like hello, how are you? Talk with me please, because it's, it's like the big wall between the locals and the foreigners. Yeah, this is a language barrier actually, yeah. yeah. Yes, yes, uh, it's, uh, it's amazing to find uh, people speaking English. I remember the other day in the supermarket, we were talking in English and Nelly and uh, <laughs> someone talked to us uh, and then we say, well, you can communicate with us, you're speaking English? Yeah, we were very surprised. <laughs> yes, and uh, finding people uh, speaking in English, uh, it's a very 
interesting. Uh, it's very important here. Yeah. Also. Yeah. And when we will go back home in January, we will experience a reverse culture shock. <laughs> I don't know, but for me, probably I will experience this kind of shock because reverse culture shock, also known as re-entry shock or own culture shock, may take place returning to one's home culture after growing accustomed to a new one can produce the same effects as described above. These are results from the psychosomatic and psychological consequences of the readjustment process to the primary culture. The affected person often finds this more surprising and difficult to deal with than the original culture shock. This phenomenon, the reaction the members of the re entered culture exhibit toward to re-entered and the inevitability of the two are encapsulated in the following saying which is also the title of a book by Thomas Wolfe You Can Go Home Again and I have a story of my brother, he lived in Sweden for five uh, years and uh, after returning from Sweden he experienced this reverse culture shock and I noticed it really clearly because he was always talking about, oh, Sweden has this, and Sweden has this, <laughs> Sweden, and Sweden people do like this, Sweden people do like this. And it was kind of annoying, actually. <laughs> but uh, I, for sure, I will experience this uh, reverse culture shock after coming back home, because it's really different from my place, from my culture and language. The plan is go to another country for a start again. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and I think... It would uh, be really great. I will experience a lot of cultural shocks after this experience. But now we have to finish uh, this cultural program. So thanks, Guy, for participating and thanks, uh, you cultural people, for listening to us. We were on Muster FM. So see you the next week. Allons-y. Allons-y. Thank you for listening. See you next week. From 10 to 12 here on Mushtar FM 89.6.